Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. And we're taking it back to 2002 today. We're going to talk about the 2002 Big East Tournament Championship, better known as the Talik Brown game. Um, and yeah, I mean, this was a great game and, uh, one, you know, I'm really looking forward to talking about, uh, so Tim Fontenot is back, uh, joining us again for, I believe his third episode. Tim, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me back. Indeed. Time number three. I'm excited. Yeah. So we were just talking before we started recording. So you were nine years old when you were watching this game for the first time, you said, and, uh, it sounds like it was a quite a party. So just right off the top, tell us about it. What was your experience like watching this game? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I was nine years old and, uh, you know, I was, I was at home, you know, no one else really wanted to watch a game. My parents weren't really into it at that point. My brother definitely not. And he was only like six or seven anyway. Um, so I was pretty much just watching the game by myself and you know, it's 2002. There's no Twitter. There's no any of that stuff so it's you know i was just like looking for a way to communicate during the game and it was like at the dawn of like you know whatever the internet was back then and there were like message boards to talk in this was like before the boneyard and stuff like that i think um so you know nine-year-old me is going back and forth with pittsburgh fans during the game and these stupid message boards and then at the end i was the one who got to be like well what i tell you guys unbelievable that's fantastic i mean it's it's a crazy it was a crazy game for sure and um it it came at such an interesting time in yukon history so i mean it's kind of funny so i 2000 the 99 championship and the 2004 championship were only five years apart but when i think back it feels like they were like you know widely removed you know like but this game was basically played right right in between and it's like, you know, you got you got Karan Butler, who was only at UConn for two years, and like kind of, you know, he was like sort of the man in between those two eras of UConn basketball. And then, but you also have Emeka Okafor and Ben Gordon, who are both really good in this game. You know, Talik Brown obviously was a huge part of those cha- that championship team uh, in 2004 as well. And um, I mean, yeah, they, this was a good team. They they you know did really well. They kind of uh, you know came on late in the season. Uh, they were they didn't. I don't think they even really broke into the rankings much until like the final couple of weeks of the year. And then, yeah, just, um, they, 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 this game was just an absolute classic. Um, so yeah, I guess just to kind of start off, um, you know, so, you know, you were obviously, you know, really young with this game. I, I didn't see this game when it happened. This was before my Yukon days, but, um, yeah, so I guess just to kind of go back. So you obviously, you know, watching 90, 1999 was a formative experience for you as a Husky fan. What were those next few years like? Do you remember kind of what the vibe was around the program, sort of in the in the aftermath of the championship? Yeah, so obviously the the championship took the program to new heights, and uh, but yeah, a couple of years after that, the felt like kind of letdown. Uh, two thousand two thousand one, uh, and then this team rolls around, and there's a lot of you know, like you said, they it, they came on late in the season, but they had that young group of promising players, and obviously Karan Butler was a stud. Um, they were still, they were a fun team. I actually, like, I don't, I don't, I had to go back and watch this game, obviously. I don't remember really much of anything except the Talik shot when I was, uh, when I was watching it, but I had actually been at Madison Square Garden watching them 
about three weeks before that play in another double overtime game against St. John's um, when Karan Butler hit three free throws in a row to force overtime. And I just remember then, like, that team had a lot of fight. They were really just bullies on the defensive end of the floor. And uh, so, you know, I don't think then there was a, like, I don't remember necessarily feeling that there was a national title in the very near future, but you know, once you saw the rise of Mecca Okafor and Ben Gordon and those guys, you were like, okay, well, this team's really got something here. Yeah, well, it's actually funny you mentioned. So you were at that St. John's game. They they lost that game, if I recall, right? They did. Yep. And I, I believe I actually shared this story on another episode where I lost my Diana Taurasi signed hat. You lost your Diana Taurasi signed hat at at Madison Square Garden. I did. It was the worst. So I had a. Uh, I had a hat that was signed by DT and randomly um, a member of this 2002 team, Justin Brown. And um, I, so I wore the hat to the, to the game at Madison Square Garden. My grandparents took me and my cousin. And as the game was ending, I went to go put my jacket on and I was just, I was in a huff. I was so upset. You know, we had done a great trip in New York City and uh, I was always excited to see UConn and UConn lost. And I still don't handle UConn losses very well, but especially nine-year-old me, wasn't really great about it. And I just couldn't think about anything. And all of a sudden, we're walking out of the garden, and I'm like, where's my hat? I don't know where my hat is. Can we go back up to the fourth level of MSG and get it? We were like five rows from the way back, way, way back. So my grandparents were like, no, we can't go get it. It's gone. And I cried the entire way home sitting next to my cousin on the bus. Oh, my God. That's horrible. <laughs> Well, that's that's a terrible story. I'm glad I'm glad it wasn't traumatizing for life. And if if it was traumatizing for life, you can you know just keep it on the down low. <laughs> but no, I, I yeah. Well, so I was just gonna say. So I'm glad you brought that game up because that was um the last game that was the last game UConn would lose until the Elite Eight. They won 12 straight after that. And uh, you know this game here against Pittsburgh and the Big East tournament final. You know this was they they go into this game. They've won eight in a row. And, you know, this is kind of like, it seemed like the national narrative had turned, like, for a while, it was like, wow, look at UConn, they, you know, got some talent. By the time you get to the pit game, people are like, okay, this team's really good. But, you know, it definitely, it was definitely like a pretty incredible second half run that they had. And, you know, the teams that they beat down the stretch, they, they weren't slouches. You know, you have wins over Villanova, BC, Georgetown, West Virginia, BC again, Seton Hall to close out the regular season. And then, you know, in the, the, Big East tournament, they uh, beat Villanova by two points in the first uh, game, and then they beat Notre Dame by five, and that you know sets up your your thriller with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was good this year. They uh they were uh, had been to the Big East final the year before. Uh, they have Brandon Knight, the other one, the 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 Pittsburgh version, not the one that me and Colin McDonough dumped on for you know twenty minutes in our la- our Maui Invitational episode. <laughs> Um, and he, you know, he, he and Karan Butler shared Big East tournament, uh, Big East player of the year honors. And, um, it's funny that whenever these two teams play in the biggest tournament, it seems like something epic happens. So, you know, um, yeah, just, I guess just, uh, kind of before we kind of dive in too deep, uh, you know, what, what, do you remember what your impression was of this game beforehand? Like, you know, kind of the lead up with the, the winning streak and sort of how, how things had played out, uh, going into the game. Yeah, I was excited, you know, just the way they've been playing. And obviously Pittsburgh was a tough team. Um, UConn Pitt was always great in the Big East. That for, until until the end of the conference, that was always one of the games for uh, 
for anyone to watch. And you knew it was going to be a battle. Two two teams that were really good. Really, they had some they had some bigs that could really cause a lot of problems inside on both sides of the floor. So it was gonna. You knew it was going to be a test of wills, and that's what it ended up being. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So this game, uh, I guess um, we'll kind of dive in. So. Uh, close game throughout, um, as I'm sure you could probably guess. Um, so first half, uh, you know, pretty, it's generally speaking pretty close throughout. Uh, there's one point where Pitt takes a seven-point lead right around the under four mark. Uh, that's, uh, you know, Jim Calhoun calls a timeout, gives reads the team the riot act. And uh, what do you know, UConn answers with an 8 nothing run. They retake the lead uh, briefly. Um, Brandon Knight hits a really nice shot with about 45 seconds left. And then, uh, they have a buzzer beater go, but, uh, it gets waved off. So, uh, you know, Pitt goes into halftime leading 28, 27, um, watching this, watching the game, there was something that stood out to me. Well, two things. One, Karan Butler was amazing. Uh, never, never seen him play in college before. Uh, seen a lot of him in the pros, obviously he was a terrific, uh, professional, but, you know, it was cool to kind of see that version of him. And also, Okafor was just a monster. There's uh, this dude from Pitt, Siobhan uh, Troutman. There were two points where he tries to, you know, basically back Okafor in. And Okafor just was like, nah. <laughs> just absolutely <laughs> just swatted him. Um, you know, so it was a you know impressive start. Uh, Pitt is ahead for most of the half. And actually, really for most of the game. And um, not, not, the, not really the most... Uh, I don't want to say exciting. It was it was sloppy. Uh, there was it was, certainly wasn't the the smoothest game. That's what I'm going for. Um, but you know, so that's kind of how 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 the game starts off. Uh, with Karan, though, I mean, you know, I actually, why don't we start? Yeah, do you want to start with Karan, and then we can get to Okafor? Sure. Yeah. So Karan, I mean, you know, he he was just terrific. Do you do you recall? Well, you you probably you probably watched him way more than I did. Obviously, back then, what was your impression of Karan, especially in the this one? Just a grinder. I mean, he was such a talented player, but he fought for everything. Um, and I thought that was a real, like, I feel like it was a great reflection of who he is as a person. You know, he came through a lot before he got to UConn. And then he fought for everything that he got once he got there and beyond. So, you know, everyone knew by this point that he was probably going to be gone after his sophomore year. He was going to the NBA. And you could tell he just wanted to, he wanted to go out on the highest note he could and Going into that championship game, you could tell that he was just, he was going to do whatever it took to win. And he was outstanding in this game, just, he had, just as he had been all season. Yeah, absolutely. So I remember he, he did a, a piece, I, I think it was for the Players' Tribune like a year or two ago. And it kind of, you know, his story, you know, it's been, it's been told. I mean, you know, even in the broadcast, you can hear the guys, t- the announcers talking about it a little bit. But hearing it from himself, if just straight from himself, I mean, Yikes! <laughs> yeah, when you say he overcame a lot, like you know, that's that's no joke. I mean, he 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 really—it's amazing that it worked out as well for him as it did. But you know, wh- one thing that did strike me is that you know he gets to UConn and right away he's like the best player in the school. You know, 2001, yeah. he's the team's leading scorer. The team's no good, but like you can tell, like okay, they have something with this kid. And then the so- sophomore year, he averages. Um, let me just pull it up to make sure I got it exactly right. Uh, twenty point three points per game, seven point five rebounds, and um, I mean, just it seems like he could do it all. Like you know, in this game, he does a lot of uh, slashing to the basket. Has a couple of really nice moves where he drives in, goes up and under. Uh, you know, fights for the basket, some turnaround shots. You know. Inside, outside. I mean, he could. He was. He was a threat. Um, 
I don't have the number in front of me, but he had double double digits uh, points at halftime. He was uh, definitely the team's go-to guy early. But yeah, no, defensively though, uh, Okafor was just the man. Uh, you know, we talked about the the plays on Troutman, but he was, um, you know, it's funny, like, you know, when I, I, I've only watched a handful of his games on this podcast so far, but when I was watching the Duke game from the 2004 semifinals, you know, you see this game, this, this game in 2002, and I mean, a lot of the stuff he was doing the Duke, he was doing here. Like he was a, he, it seems like he almost like came to UConn, like not a complete plat package, but like already was so dominant. What did, do you, would you agree with that? Yeah. And looking back at that game, it was just, it was so fun to watch the way he just controlled the, controlled the interior. I mean, he barely had to take a step in any direction to swat a ball. And, you know, <laughs> there are, Pitt's always, Pitt's always a big team, or they used to always be a big team. And so going to the rim was, you know, you knew they were going to on almost every possession. And Okafor just, he owned, he owned that, that lane. He just, there was no, there was no getting by him. I mean, they had a couple of great interior plays, but most of the time he was just knocking the ball away left and right. And I mean, they were talking about it on the broadcast. Like he was, I don't think he had, I don't remember if he broke the freshman record for blocks, but I mean, it was absurd just the amount of the amount of blocks he had as a freshman. And big surprise, it started with Okafor. UConn led the nation in blocks that year. Yeah, no, absolutely. So actually, during the broadcast, they they mentioned this. So at that at the time of this game, or at whatever point in the broadcast it was, he had 125 blocks, and I think they said Sean Bradley had the record, and he had like 177. So oh, that's, right, yeah. that's a lot. So I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if he made it. You know. Unless he unless he blocked fifty shots in four games in the NCAA tournament, I don't think he broke that record. But he, um, yeah, no, I mean he was he was just dominating everybody. And and most importantly, it wasn't even just the shots he blocked, but it's the shots that people missed because of him. Like yeah. in this game, you know, every time somebody drove to the basket, they'd start like twirling like a ballerina and do some kind of crazy Kobe fadeaway, just because they knew if they just went straight up, they were just it was gonna meet uh, Emeka's hand right in their face. So. You know, he the beat had an effect like this too. But Okafor is a freshman to do all this to a really good pit team. I mean, that's that's special. I mean, you could tell you could you could tell like between you know him and Gordon, like wow, like this this team has something special. And it does make yeah. me think: Could you imagine if Karan Butler had been on the 2004 team? He would have been a senior oh if he'd God. stuck around. Like that wouldn't that would have been such a joke. <laughs> it would have been insane. They, they would have just plowed through everybody. I mean, they, they were already almost unstoppable that year. But, man, Karan was on that team. The One of the things I noticed about the way they played defense in that game is it felt like they were kind of trying to push Pittsburgh players toward Okafor. Like, there were a few times where it felt like Johnny Selby was just kind of like trying to steer them in his direction and just let him do his thing. Yeah, Johnny Selby, I got to tell you, I knew nothing about the guy until I saw him doing surprisingly well in that uh that um a Dimebacks uh, other guys tournament that they've been doing. <laughs> and I got to say, I like this guy. He's he's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, he's he, you know, he's a big dude, does kind of all the dirty work, and uh in this game he was fun. I now I, I to exactly. feel like I'm some sort of quote unquote expert. I don't even know who freaking Johnny Selvi is. I apologize to all the my listeners. I failed you all. This guy is, yeah, no, this this guy was fun though. And um, you know, in this game, it's kind of cool. Just like, wow, hey, here's this guy kind of 
certainly not the star of the team, but he certainly seemed like he was sort of with, with a veteran leader, right? Because most of the other contributors on this team, like this was a super young team. You know, Karan, sophomore, you know, Ben Gordon, Okafor, uh, Talik are all freshmen. Actually, I'm sorry. was I, I always get this mixed up, actually. Was Talik a sophomore this year or a freshman? Talik was a sophomore. Okay, okay, there we go. So uh, I might have, uh, no, I'll keep it in, whatever. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. <laughs> No, so yeah, so even so, he was an underclassman, and um, you know, he he was a uh, not certainly not like the most experienced guy. I mean, the uh, you know after he hits that shot at the end of double overtime, which we'll which we'll get to soon, the announcers were like, "What's happening? Like, what? How? How on earth? Like, you know, almost kind of like the Ricky Moore in the the '96 final kind of vibes. Like, everybody was just like, "There's no way Talik Brown of all people just hit that shot. Like, what 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 is going on here?" Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, Talik, I, I wouldn't call him one of the best shooters in UConn history, but I feel like that's a little bit harsh. Like, you know, the dude, dude's a good player. <laughs> like, what, what, do you, what do you want yeah. from him? He was one of the two Parade All-Americans on that team, uh, him and Tony Robertson. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> so, it is funny, though. So, Talik... Um, it's actually kind of fortunate he was in that position to do that because uh, so second half starts, in, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, it remains close for a while. Uh, but Talik goes to the bench with uh, his third foul pretty early on, like I think like four minutes into the second half. And, you know, he he, he comes back pretty soon. He doesn't sit for very long, but that, that could have been an issue. Like if, if Talik had fouled out or something and double in like the first overtime, you know, you know, he, you, UConn would have needed, it would have, it would have disrupted what UConn was trying to do for sure. Cause he ends up playing, uh, how many minutes does he end? Yeah. 46 minutes out of the, the 50 in the game. So not a guy you can really afford wow. to lose. Um, but yeah, so anyway, despite that, I mean, you know, UConn keeps it close. They, they fall behind by five right around that time. And, uh, you know, I think right, pretty much right away, UConn goes on a five, nothing run to tie it. And it, it stays close for, basically the rest of the way i think yukon doesn't really get the lead until right around the under eight and um you know i think at that point they pull up by four but it's never it's it's pretty much a two possession game for the rest of the way um before we kind of get to the end of that though there was one play that karan made that just absolutely made me geek out um right around the under 12 he makes this crazy move in transition julius page loses his shoe and then butler just takes off and he just like make some crazy move at the basket to, you know, finish in transition. He, he literally, the, the dude literally loses his shoe. <laughs> I have that written down here. That was one of my favorite moments of the game. <laughs> have you ever seen that happen before? I, I can't like figuratively it happens all the time, but I, the only other time I can remember a guy actually losing his shoe was, uh, was when Zion's shoe exploded. And that was for completely exactly. different reasons. <laughs> Yeah, man, I know that was the crowd was great. I, I have to say too, like whatever. So when I did the uh, 96 tournament episode, I was really grateful to see just how great the crowd was. 2002, six years later, nothing's changed. You know, everybody is, you know, UConn fans showed up and Pitt's bench. They were using like hand signals to signal plays. It's like, that's something you do at Gamble Pavilion, not usually at your conference tournament. 
it's certainly something that Cincinnati wasn't doing that at Dickey's Arena or wherever the, the the place in Memphis or you know Orlando for the American Conference tournament. I mean, that was something special about the Big East tournament that UConn could basically show up and just be like, "We're the home team, <laughs> deal with it." Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's that. Watching these games has been such a fun reminder of that too. Going into next year, that they really are going to be the home team every single time they go into that tournament. I mean, it was wild. They and they made note of that on the broadcast too. Uh, a couple times at least they were talking about those flashcards that Pittsburgh was using and they're like yeah these guys came in they knew they knew they were going to be the the road team today they know this is a UConn crowd it's always going to be a UConn crowd so I mean that's the edge you're going to have in the championship game at the Garden I appreciated that commentary I also got to give a you know shout out to Ben Howland for actually like doing that because like that's good coaching if you if you know like okay well listen we're Madison Square Garden is going to be loud and UConn's crowd's probably going to travel better than ours, so let's prepare accordingly. Like, I don't know if you have any strong Ben Howland takes, but I mean, in the two thousand, in like the early two thousands, that guy was like probably one of the better coaches around. Obviously, he flamed out pretty epically at UCLA eventually, but you know, he he was a good run at Pitt and obviously a great run at UCLA. So, you know, gotta give him credit. And I mean, Pitt basketball in the two thousands, man, what a what a run! I. I it's that's something that you we're never going to get back like at least Syracuse like whenever they play in the non-conference it'll still be special but Pitt like if they were to play Pitt now it wouldn't be the same would it no no it wouldn't be I mean those games like I said earlier those were those were the games for me and I've, I've been to a few UConn Pitt games that were just really really intense I mean it it always feels more like a almost like more of like a football game than it does like a basketball game and I think that was really reflected in this game. I mean, this was like, this was a real, like, old school Big East game. The physicality, the the grit between the two teams. And I mean, I think Calhoun said it after the game. It's like, you know, you know, you can talk about how sloppy it looked and how many shots were missed. But he's like, when did you get a clean look? When weren't you getting hit when you were trying to take a shot or trying to do something on defense? Like that was like, that was a war on that on the floor. And there's a reason why those teams played three years in a row in the championship game. And this was the first of them. Those were just, that, that run was really something else. Yeah. I mean, there's so many great games. It's like these three games here in that era, you know, so I, I was at UConn from 2009 to 2012. And I, I, you know, that was maybe the best era of like Big East top to bottom period. You know, that was during the time where you were, the conference was sending 10, 11 teams to the NCAAs every year. And then like, you know, the teams that weren't making the NCAAs, like, the, there was still some, like, they were still pretty good, too, like, you know, in the grand scheme of things. They're just, their record may not have been very good because they're playing just, every every team they're playing is, like, a top 20 team. So, even back then, though, like, Pitt was always the one to me that stood, like, th- that was a team I was, I respected the most. Like, Syracuse, yeah. they were really good, and you hated them, but you felt like you could beat them. Villanova... They were, you know, obviously they weren't quite what they became after the Biggies sort of broke up and reformatted. They were still really good, but you weren't, I wasn't afraid of them. Pitt, that was a team I was like, man, those guys, like, that's going to be, like, that's the, that's the one where you're like, no, that's going to be tough. And you could not beat them on the road. Like, you going into the Peterson Event Center, I, I don't, I mean, people could correct me, but I can't recall them ever winning a game there, at least when I was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, oh man, the, I feel like, the first three national championships all featured an important game against Pittsburgh. Like, at some point in the season, at least one. 
Um, obviously, 99, you had the game on the road where they won in the final seconds on the Elamine shot. Um, 2004, the championship game, and obviously they were two of the best teams in the conference the whole year. And even in 2011, they uh, you know they started the season with that amazing run. They won in Maui. They were undefeated. And again, they're a very young team then, and they go on the road to Pitt for their first game in the conference, and they just get... I don't think they got blown out, but they were clearly the inferior team on the floor that day. And that was a huge lesson for them going forward. It was and then a, obviously they get to the to the Big East tournament and the Kemba the Kemba game. That was a big wake up call, that's for sure. I, I remember that one well. Oh my god, it was like getting <laughs> smacked with a sledgehammer. It's like, here we go, Big East Big East time. Let's let's do this. Oh man. Um. So why don't we we should probably kind of get back on track. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, so second half, I mean, really the rest of the way, it's close. You know, you got uh, Pitt goes cold for a while. They miss like nine or ten shots in a row from like the under eight to right around like the, you know, about the 430 mark. You, UConn, they, so they, they, they take the lead, but they don't pull ahead by very much more. And then it's like with two minutes left, all of a sudden, like a lot of craziness, craziness starts happening. You have Ben Gordon knocks down a three. So that uh, UConn had trailed by one. That puts them ahead by two, 50 to 48, two minutes left. And then on another play, I think it was maybe the next one, UConn down the floor. Uh, there's like a weird play with a, a rebound that Okafor grabs and it gets like, he like falls down. Like he has the ball in his hand and his like butts on the inbound line. He chucks it, you know, to, for an outlet pass or something. But like he was out of bounds because he just happened to catch the ball while he was sitting down. It was kind of a crazy, he even got the rebound. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, uh, uh, page from, uh, Pitt gets a two to tie the game. Uh, Okafor gets a put back off a of Gordon miss with a minute left. And then Jerron Brown, he ties the game again. And then Brandon Knight, uh, like, so Pitt's best player, he just gets hurt and watching the replay. I couldn't really tell what happened. It was like, he like slipped on like a wet spot or something, but you know, he, he leaves the game and, uh, it looks really serious. He like has to like get like helped off like can't put any weight on it at all and um you know there's like a five minute delay while they're kind of waiting to see if he's going to be okay and um you know then you know next thing you know UConn's got the ball and a chance to win uh you know Butler misses Okafor misses and then Butler misses again kind of one of those weird it reminded me of like one of the overtime sequences in the six overtime game against Syracuse where you're like how the heck didn't they win like like there's no there's no way they lost they missed all three of those um, but yeah, so you go to overtime, tie 52-52, the third time ever at that point that the uh, Big East final has gone to overtime, and that was the first time in 18 years. So uh, hang on to your hats. Here we go. Um, Brandon Knight, um, I, I couldn't tell you much about him, but from what I, the, every, what, from you know the research I did, it sounded like he was a terrific player, and um, we'll get into what happens in overtime, but the fact that they lose him, like that was tough. Uh, do you re- do you remember th- what you were thinking and what you were chirping at the uh, pit fans is uh, on those message boards at that point? Oh man, I wish I could remember what I was saying, but I was very nervous at that point. It's going into the overtime, and obviously, you know, Brandon Knight was such a spectacular player at Pitt. He's one of those names that sticks with me from those old, those like late '90s, early 2000s years, like just guys that I couldn't stand him. Uh, um, he was Tim James from Miami because they beat UConn in that first championship year, and I just resented him forever for it. Um, you know, he was, you felt like he had a chance to will them to victory in that game. But 
I mean, that, that overtime was just back and forth. And that one, um, man, it was it was crazy to watch just back and forth. It felt like someone had to break through it and no one was going to do it. So, yeah, so we'll kind of see. So, yeah, so it's like you said, close game all throughout the overtime. No Brandon Knight. Brandon Knight, you know, we didn't know if he's coming back. He had some kind of, I looked it up actually. He had some sort of a, a it was like a strained quad and I guess uh, some sort of ligament damage to his, uh, like his, I don't know, his, whatever, connecting the quad to the knee or however that thing works. So, you know, that it looked really bad in the broadcast and, you know, he, you know, it took him forever to get him off the court. So, you know, overtime, meanwhile, is going back and forth. You, you know, you, Karan Butler is making some shots. Gordon hits a three. Uh, this dude, Savaskas, uh, Donata Savaskas, hits yeah. two threes, two huge threes, gets, uh, keeps Pitt in it. And uh, Ontario Lett, great name, he he ties it up uh, with 23 seconds left. And then the strangest thing happens. Um, ben Gordon gets tied up at the top of the key with like two seconds left. And uh, Pitt's awarded possession on the jump ball. Brandon Knight comes back into the game. He's clearly limping. He can hardly move. And... You know, they have 1.7 seconds or something like that left. They inbound it to him, and he almost hits the game-winning shot from like, yeah. from like, um, from like Jalen Adams' range. It was nuts. Could could you imagine if he'd made that shot? That would have been like Kirk Gibson on steroids or something. It would have been nuts. Exactly, exactly. It just like it smashed against the front of the rim, and I was just like, "You've got to be kidding me right now." That would have that would have been the dumbest and most awesome and also the worst possible way for UConn to lose that game. I mean, that would have yeah. been like you know if like the uh, the the Eric Devendorf shot had counted at the end of regulation in the six overtime game. You know, like uh, everybody, all of UConn nation, just being like, "You cannot be serious! I can't believe that this just happened." <laughs> um, luckily for U- UConn, it it didn't that didn't come to pass. He rims out on the front of the the rim and. Uh, double overtime. So I have to confess. So when I, so I didn't really put two and two together that this was the Talik Brown shot game, you know, the game where he hits that shot. So when I see the final score, I'm like 74 to 65 in double overtime. Well, clearly UConn just kind of blew him out after Brandon Knight gets hurt, but that's not what happened. Not at all. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's a good, it's a, you know, continues to be back and forth. It's actually, to be honest, it's mostly fouls and free throws, a ton of free throws at the, down the stretch. And then, you know, so you end up getting a situation where I think it was 64-64 with two minutes, 26 seconds left. So the final is 74-65. So UConn is going to outscore them 10-1 to the rest of the way. But UConn's only up, I believe, by, uh, by yeah, by three. They're up, I think, 67-64. And, um, you know, UConn has the chance to, you know, win the game. And then Ben Gordon gets tied up for another jump ball with two seconds left on the shot clock. <laughs> Except this time UConn retains possession. So it's, well, first of all, Ben Gordon, man, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Great, great player. Yeah, that wasn't his only what are you doing moment in that final minute. Yeah, great. Yeah, great player. Not not his finest moment. And so, yeah, now you have a situation where there's like no time on the shot clock and, you know, UConn's trying to inbound it. So you get the ball inbound to Leek Brown he just takes a dribble and with hardly any time left on the shot clock, just chucks it up from Shabazz range and he makes it. <laughs> Everybody goes crazy. It was, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. The announcers, like we were saying, we're like the last person in this gym you expect to make that shot. It's like, bro, first of all, chill, but also Holy crap. Talik. Wow. My God, <laughs> you, you monster. <laughs> that put him up. 
It really was like a Shabazz shot, wasn't it? It was. It was. Oh, it was a Shabazz special. That was Shabazz. It was, honestly, Shabazz Napier. How old would he have been? I guess he's about your age. I think, right? He was probably like nine. Also, yeah. So he he's like nine, yeah. nine years old. Shabazz is probably watching this, and he's just like, you know what? I'm gonna make that my thing when I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Just absolutely delightful. The look on everybody's faces, they're all celebrating and Calhoun is just shouting at him. It's like, guys, chill. Like, it's not over. Get back on defense. Oh, my God. Shout out to shout oh, out to Jim Calhoun. I felt, so he, oh, I, I felt so bad for my parents because I screamed at the top of my lungs when Talik hit that shot. Now I'm pretty sure they were fast asleep when it happened. Oh, man. Well, you know what? It's Hey, uh, special moments like that deserve a special celebration. I mean, honestly. Exactly. Oh man. Okay. That, the, so the shot. So uh, I'm cor- going to correct myself. UConn was up by two when he hits that shot. So that puts him up 69-64, and that that's pretty much your ball game. It was you know mostly you know I think there was a a, a transition uh, a turnover transition basket, uh, a couple more free throws, and then that's how you get your nine point margin of victory. Uh, 74-65. UConn is your biggest tournament champion once again, and um, yeah, one for the one for the ages. Oh man, yeah. So it was a good one. Um, anything stand out to you upon the rewatch? Um, anything stand out? I mean, obviously going back now, I'm like, yeah, like I said earlier, it's no wonder these two teams ended up playing three years in a row for the title. It was just so much fun. Um, the way those two teams played against each other—that was, I love UConn Pittsburgh. That was so much fun to watch, and obviously knowing what happened at the end of the game. You're able to watch it with a little more relaxation. You're like, okay, this is fine. I know they're going to win, but oh my gosh, this was stressful. Um, Okafor, again, a beast. The oh, the way he played inside was spectacular. Butler showing why he's one of the UConn greats. And just uh, going back to that final minute really quick, this was one of the things that stood out for me was, like I said, it, that wasn't Ben Gordon's only what are you doing moment. That foul up near half court is only a few seconds left. That puts them on the that puts it on the line with a chance to get back in it. Calhoun freaked out. It was an like it was one of my favorite Jim Calhoun freakouts. He's just he goes to Karan, or to Gordon like, are you freaking kidding me right now? And luckily he um, the pit player only hit one, and Johnny Selby got to go back the other way and throw down a dunk to seal the deal, but. That was uh, that was an interesting final minute to say the least. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, that's a good point. <laughs> that was tough. <laughs> it was it was a weird foul too. He just kind of like sets a screen on him, and the guy kind of just runs into him, and he just sort of yeah like slides back on his butt, looking around like, oh god, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So um, I'll tell you what stood out to me, and actually, it doesn't really have to do with this game so much as it does just uh, like kind of overall history Karan Butler so when we talk about the Yukon greats I feel like Karan Butler's name is not usually one of the first ones to come up you know we usually talk about Kemba we you know Ray Allen you know we got you know Rip Hamilton you know you know uh, Ben Gordon Okafor those guys Karan is usually a little like maybe like the next five or six down and I think it's probably a shame that he isn't considered to be like higher up on the the uh, UConn power rankings because objectively speaking, he is definitely one of UConn's all time best NBA players. And what he accomplished in college was pretty extraordinary. And, 
you know, they made the Elite Eight. Like this, the 2002 season was one of their best seasons ever. And it was like, it was because of him. Like if, if Karan's yeah. not there, you know, Okafor and Gordon, like they would have, they would have been a good team, but they wouldn't have been what they were. And also they lost to Maryland in the Elite Eight, the national, the eventual national champs. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that maybe if they get a slightly different draw and like maybe a slightly favorable matchup, they could have made the final four. Like that's totally within the realm of possibility. Like, so. Um, yeah, I agree with that completely. And just really quickly, like Karan being one of the best, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I was uh, I was lucky enough to be at the game where he was inducted into the Huskies of Honor. And man, I uh, I'm an emotional guy as it is. That one really got to me. I was uh, I was a mess up in the up in the upper level there. Yeah, man. Yeah, he he's he deserves all the success he's gotten. Um, and, you know, thinking about it, too, it made me start thinking, so, you know, who are UConn's best NBA players? And it's a question that I feel like most people don't give a lot of thought to, but I actually think the answer is probably, it's a little more interesting than most people think. So before I, so I did some research and I have what I kind of, I have, a, I have a, my own short list, but who just, you know, off the top of your head, who would you say are UConn's top NBA players? really putting me on the spot here yeah but it's just um, you know it's just gut gut instinct you know yeah yeah of course um i would have if i was if i'm going with five i would put karan in there um ray allen obviously for his three point um three point record i mean he was unbelievable um richard hamilton i think was outstanding as part of that ridiculously good pistons team um after them yeah i'm kind of drawing a blank right now um I'd be cheating if I said Andrew Bynum. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a horrible. That's a horrible guess. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I was I, I was not being serious about that one. Um, I guess I'd have to say Andre Drummond and Rudy Gay would be my other two, just off the top of my head. Maybe maybe Kemba over Drummond. That was I, I don't know. Okay, well maybe you I'll know go what? Six and I'll have all. That's a good, so what you've given me is a pretty good list. So I, so obviously comparing different players of different eras is a little bit of a dicey proposition. So what I decided to do was go back and look at career minutes played to kind of give you a good approximation of who sort of the most, the best players have been. Cause you know, if you're playing a lot of minutes, it usually means you're pretty good. It means you're productive. It means you've stuck around for a while. It means you're healthy. So you can kind of quibble with this, the order, but like, this is kind of a good top 10. So would you like to know who the top 10 are? Let's hear it. All right. Number 10, Andre Drummond, 18,590 career minutes. Number 9, Emeka Okafor, 19,055 career minutes. Number 8, Ben Gordon, 20,366 career minutes. Number 7 at the moment, Kemba Walker, 22,199 minutes. And that's going to be, you know, He'll obviously add to that total by a lot over the years uh, to come. Oh, yeah. Number six, Danielle Marshall. Oh, yeah. 25,027 career minutes. He uh, he played for quite a while. He had a, a nice a nice long career. Karan Butler, he comes in at number five. He has 28,333 minutes. Uh, same thing for him. You know, he, he was great for a long time. Rip Hamilton's number four, 29,559. Rudy Gay, number three. Yeah, he has thirty-one thousand one hundred seventy-five. Number two is a player you not, you did not guess, but now that I've given you those other names, do you care to guess who number two might be? Um, 
I'm drawing a blank right now, and I feel really dumb about it. You're going to feel worse when I tell you. Clifford Robinson. Oh, wow. Clifford Robinson, 42,561 career minutes. He is a... He had a long, long, and long, long successful NBA career. He, I play, I think he played from 1990 to 2007. So I was born in 1990. So literally, I was like almost out of high school by the time his career had run its course. Um, but we always kind of forget he was a, you know, he was part of the Calhoun era, even if he technically predated Calhoun by like a year, when his, in terms of right. when he got there. Uh, but you know. That dude, great, great, great NBA player and uh, a big part of UConn's uh, NIT championship team as well. Um, Ray Allen, of course, number one, 46,344 career minutes and is, uh, you know, in the in the Naismith Hall of Fame. So by any measure, he's he's the top guy. But, you know, Karan, yeah, kind of number five on that list. It feels like it feels about right because, you know, that's a I, I don't exactly know how many he's like four, 13 14 15 years in the league you know he he he's he was great he did every he he did everything he did in college in the pros too and he had some success so yeah so i don't know do you, it's, i'm just kind of curious now that i've given you that list does that list uh, sound about right to you or is there any any surprises of people who might not be there or who who are there no i think that list is about right um you know obviously you have other guys who had really good careers like kevin ollie especially comes to mind um, you know, even like some other of the early guys like Travis Knight and obviously Scott Burrell, who's been at the forefront of NBA talk the last few months. So, um, they, obviously we all know the success of UConn players in the NBA, but yeah, that list sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, to, just for the record, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Lamb and Shabazz Napier are like in the, between 11 to 20. So there's a decent chance they have they'll, they'll climb the list and uh, will potentially even break into the top twenty, uh, you know, top ten eventually, depending on how long they stick around. Obviously, Jer- uh, Jeremy Lamb, we need him to get healthy as well. So, you know, but even still, um, you know, it's a that's a good list. I mean, I I take that uh, a roster of those ten players up against uh, you know a lot of the you know other blue blood programs and their best pros, and you know you could win some games with that lineup and that that bench. That's for sure. With, uh, with the Rutgers coaches who helped them make a billion dollars in the NBA. <laughs> hey, listen, I got to give, you know, shout out to, to Steve, uh, you know, Peichel. I mean, what he's done with Rutgers is really good. So maybe, who knows, maybe yeah. there'll actually be some real Rutgers players in the NBA. But yeah, that that was a, <laughs> that Twitter graphic, man, that was ill-advised. Oh, yeah, man. It's an all-timer, yeah. So, um, so stats from this game. A um, couple interesting ones. UConn out-rebounded Pitt 43-33 to in this game. Wow. That actually, that feels really, that's a really surprising stat to me, that it was a plus-10 margin like that. Because I just feel like the entire, you know, the size of those two teams and the way they played around the rim, I feel like it would have been, like, a plus-2. Yeah, I mean, it's, so, it's funny. Like, I feel like every game that the 2011 UConn team played, they got out-rebounded by 10, and then you look it up and it would be, yeah, like a plus-2 or minus-2. And then you get this one, and yeah, <laughs> this is crazy. Like <laughs> Ontario Lett was great too. Like I mean, he was killing him on the boards. He had ten rebounds and four blocks with his seventeen points. So yeah, that I mean, you know, tank too. By the way, I mean the the size of him was unbelievable. Yeah, Pitt always had a guy like that. Between him and Dewan yeah. Blair, and geez, some of those guys. Oh yeah. Um, Anyway, so Karan Butler, he had nine rebounds, uh, 23 points, uh, you know, game high for the for both teams. Uh, Ameka Okafor, 10 points, 10 rebounds, um, 
pretty solid double-double, three blocks and, you know, 4,000 altered shots. And uh, Talik Brown, Ben Gordon, both in double figures, uh, 13 and 11, respectively. Brandon Knight and Donatus Savaskis, 15 points each. And uh, three-point shooting. Um, Savaskis, four for nine from three for Pitt. The rest of the team was a combined one for nine. Not what you want if you're Pitt. (laughs) No. Um, I that, that really stuck out on the rewatch was the way he was able to hit those threes, uh, a couple of them just from like straight on, and you know, it felt like it. I feel like he's uh, he's bigger than Neil, but it had a real Neil vibe to it. The way uh, the way he was hitting those threes. Yeah, kind of, and like the the ones he was hitting were big too. You know, those threes. Like if he misses either of them, there's no way that they win. You know, the game doesn't go double overtime. Like there's not a chance. Exactly. So. Um, UConn, yeah. they went five for 10 from three point range, but nobody really hit very many. Uh, Ben Gordon goes two for three and, um, Talik, uh, Tony Robertson and, uh, Karan each have one. So, you know, a, a remarkably efficient three point shooting performance by a team that is pretty obviously not a three point shooting team. I mean, this was yeah. like a, it's this interesting. Was... it's interesting you say that cause I've got, uh, I've got their page up on basketball reference from that season. And they were the 17th best three-point shooting team by percentage in the country. They were 253rd in made three-pointers and 306th in attempted three-pointers. Yeah, that sounds so about right. They were incredibly efficient when they hit them, but they just didn't take them very much. They were For the season, they were 154 for 391. I mean, that's... I mean, hey, you talk about good shot selection. I mean, if you if you know that you can't make them, then why wouldn't why why would you try to force it? I mean, I, I figure if they tried exactly. to take many more threes with this roster, I can't imagine it would have gone well for them. So, no. Yeah. Well, that's that. That's. Were, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna. They, I was just gonna. Say, they're so. They were so good going inside. Uh, I mean, obviously with Okafor and then, you know, Gordon and Butler were so good at going to the rim too. I mean. Going back to those stats, there they were. They attempted the fourth most uh, two pointers in the country that season, and they were. Uh, I mean, they had they had the eighth best field goal percentage of the, in the entire country. So they were very efficient getting the good shots off. Well, that's what Jim Calhoun always uh, always preached. You know, if you ever took a bad shot, you were going to hear about it. So yeah, <laughs> not, it's probably not a coincidence that the UConn teams that have done the best have usually been pretty smart about their shot selection. You know, the ones who take stupid shots that are usually the ones who lose to Detroit Mercy and the NIT, which, by the way, is a real thing that really happened in 2001. And when I read about That's it, true. I was absolutely astonished. I'd never even heard of Detroit Mercy. How on earth did that happen? Yeah, I I think, if I remember correctly, that's the school that Dick Vitale used to coach. But they, uh, I, I don't even remember. I don't remember that year being kind of a throwaway, just really underwhelming and then I was like oh well, they're going to the NIT this isn't going to be great anyway they usually other than that you know ever since they started winning national titles going to the NIT has usually been a, a really usually ends a very sloppy season with a very sloppy result in the tournament and sure enough there it was against Detroit Mercy I remember seeing the final score and I'm like that's not right did that really happen it's unbelievable and then I was kind of like I saw him like, uh, well, that's how this season went. Yep. But, yep. 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 Yeah. I uh, I it actually was, it was like Northeastern for or whatever it was, uh, or any 
take any of these NIT losses, like, just for another age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 2010 was the one for me. That was, uh, I've actually, I don't even remember who they lost to. I just remember that team was, other than the, the Texas game, was just such a disappointment. Oh, man. Um, so the broadcast, uh, Mike Tirico, of all people, is the uh, lead co- commentator, which was kind of interesting. I'm not really used to hearing him do basketball games, uh, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, he, so it was Tirico, Len Elmore, with uh, Dave Ryan, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, the broadcast was great. I don't know, do you have any particular thoughts on uh, how the game looked and sounded? Uh, no, it was just, obviously, it's always interesting to go back and see how the games were broadcast back then. Um, obviously with a different aspect ratio and all that. And I thought, I thought the commentary was great. I thought they had really good insight with, uh, you know, the different things about, you know, like I said earlier, the flashcards on the Pittsburgh bench and the realization it was a Utah crowd, the different stats and history that they brought up, like with Quran's history and a Mecca's shot blocking. But the, the one I have written down here wasn't exactly a commentary. It was in a post game interview. Um, it was, it was Quran's interview after the game. And I just, first of all, found it really funny when he accidentally, re- accidentally, I, I'm sure it was, uh, he referred to Pittsburgh as Notre Dame, which I just, <laughs> I thought was just some great extra shade. Like, don't even remember who he just played against. Uh, and oh, then he got man. asked about whether he was coming back or whether this was, whether this was his last game for UConn at Madison Square Garden. And he just kind of starts rambling and he just like, non-stop with a rambling team talk about I just I'm focused on winning a title I'm going to talk we'll talk about it after the season and Calhoun kind of just ends up pushing him away and just like all right all right go celebrate man just get out of here go go do your thing <laughs> and then Calhoun just takes it over oh man that's great uh <laughs> yeah so yeah this broadcast uh yeah the commentary is great um two things that stuck out to me pretty small things one there was a I'm going uh, go either it was either coming back from or going to a commercial. They showed the old ESPN zone in Times Square. It made me really nostalgic. Do you remember that place? Oh, yeah. I I never went to the one in Times Square, but there was one in Baltimore that I went to. Oh, and I went to that one too. Man. Oh man, wow! Now I'm really nostalgic. Jeez, Tim. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like right right on the water there, like right near the Hard Rock Cafe in Baltimore. That was a fun spot. Yeah, oh man, my dad took me to that one after an or- we went to a Red Sox Orioles game. But yeah, no, the one in Times Square was was sweet though because like I got to go there once. Uh, I think yeah, gee, we went to New York when I was like nine, so I don't know. This would have been a couple years earlier than this, and I was just like, man, like this is like the greatest place ever made. And when I found out, I don't remember when it closed, but when I found out it was closing, I was crushed. So yeah, seeing it there exactly. was like, oh, here we go. That that was those were good times. Uh, anyway, so that was one thing. The other thing, um, there was a point where Mike Tirico starts shouting out some of the other people who are working on the broadcast and in the crew. And it was like a really interesting who's who of like people who I either were like, you know, kind of big time, like producers at that time. And also people who like would later go on to do really big things. One of whom Doris Burke was like part of the crew in this game. And he just gets, gives her a shout out and it's like, oh yeah, wow. Yeah. 20 years later, she's like, you know one of the most respected basketball, you know, people in the, in the world. <laughs> yeah. Legend. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that's a, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's the broadcast, I guess. Um, geez, I guess we're, we're coming to the end, aren't we? So I guess, uh, yeah, let's, let's kind of get to it. Uh, the top dog. And this is one of the rare things where I actually don't know. There isn't an obvious one. So who, who was the, uh, the top dog for this game? Oh man. It's funny you say that there 
there wasn't an obvious top one because I pre- I in my notes I wrote take your pick. Uh, I feel like it could have been either Karan or Mecca. I say Karan just because of the way he was a catalyst for that team, the way he, you know, the way he was refused to lose in that game. He was he was not going to go out without a Big East title, and I thought he was outstanding again. Yeah, no, I mean that's probably the that's certainly the right a good call. I I just wrote down to leak because as I've said on other podcasts, like. So, for instance, Ray Allen at the end of the '96 uh, championship game against Georgetown, he he was not good in that game. It was he was actually really bad. But nobody remembers that because he made the shot that we all remember. It's played on all the highlights, and well, Talik made the shot that everybody remembers. So, you know, having that big moment it counts for a lot, especially you know, you know, you know, kind of when the the ink is dry, so to speak. So. I got to give Talik the credit there, but obviously Karan was outstanding. I mean, what a, what a great college player he was. It's such a treat. Anybody who hasn't yeah. seen a, a college game of his go back. This is a good game to watch, but there's surely others, you know, he was, he was something else. Yeah. Wholeheartedly agree with that. He was, he was something special, even though he was only here for two years. I feel like we're usually when we see a guy leave early, we're used to him being around for at least, you know, two or three years. And so I feel like he was kind of on the, the short end there, but when he was here, he made it count. Oh, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, Tim, I, that's about it. I guess. Oh, well, I got you. Anything else you uh, want to talk about? Like, you know, big picture. Uh, we're two weeks uh, out from the big East uh, landing, you know, uh, we're recording this on uh, June 15th, uh, doing a quick turnaround. Uh, so <laughs> we'll be dropping this tomorrow morning. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, yeah, July 1st is uh, the return to the big East day. And um I don't know. What do you think? It's uh, it's finally happening, huh? Yeah, I've been planning for a few months actually that uh, that week I'm gonna run out. I'm gonna get myself a little bottle of champagne so that right at midnight I can pop it and uh, just enjoy the fact that we're actually going to the Big East. It's you know we're almost there and it's such a great feeling. And you know just seeing the way things are going across all UConn sports. You know, obviously Dan Hurley's got the men's basketball team in a great position. Gino's always going to have the women in a position to win a title. And now, you know, they're still probably going to run the table a lot in the Big East, but I feel like it's still a step up for for them competition-wise. They're still going to schedule all the big games. Uh, Even the football team is crushing it right now with, you know, the TV deal, with the way they're landing recruits, scheduling big games. Um, You know, there was a lot of worry about some of the logistical aspects of this Big East move coming together, but it feels like it's all come together in such a great way that, you know, obviously everyone's in such a tough situation right now with what's going on, but it feels like UConn is really setting itself up for a lot of success going forward. Shout out to Pat Forty. And, um, yeah, also I, I think it probably bears mentioning. So, you know, what you just said is all true, but we do also have to kind of address the elephant in the room that we do not know for sure if all of our, you know, UConn's programs are going to make it to the fall. And I sincerely hope that they can figure something out. Um, but you know, I think just one thing that kind of bears mentioning though, is like, Anybody, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, why wouldn't they like just drop football or, you know, why wouldn't they just, you know, this is all because of football. And anybody who says that isn't paying attention. This is happening because of the coronavirus pandemic. Full stop. If we were living in normal times where there wasn't a terrible virus ravaging the country and like, you know, if we had figured out a way to get it under control, like, you know, most of Europe has and, you know, 
things were going back to normal for real and not just pretend, you know, we UConn would be in good shape. But it's not, and it's you know, I mean, obviously the 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 big subsidy is not great, but they were they would have been fine. So hopefully, I just hope that they can figure out a way to preserve as many programs as they can. And um, you know, once they get to the Big East, it's going to be. I sincerely hope the start of a really awesome era of UConn sports and UConn basketball in particular. Yeah, well said. So and it is. It's really nice to see. I mean, obviously, we we both hope that you know these programs can make it through. But it's also very promising to see the uh, we've seen the updated photos of the facilities that are going up for baseball and softball and soccer, and those are all coming along, and those should help all three of those programs especially as they go forward and back into the Big East. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, going to the, the new soccer stadium and the new baseball facility is going to be high on my list of things to do when it's like, you know, safe to do so. Because uh, I, I loved watching old games at J.O. Christian Field and Maroney Stadium. Those were oh, some of my favorite things ever. Yeah, I think uh, we must have been at a couple games together my, my freshman year because that, that was the 2011 season when they made it to the Super regional against South Carolina. That was the the George Springer Matt Barnes year. I think it was everyone from that 2010 team that everyone talked about, with the exception of Michael. And man, that was that was so much fun being being at the jock early in the morning after a big basketball game in the tournament on a Friday night. And oh man, that was those are good times. 2010 and 2011 UConn baseball was something else. You know, I should. You know, geez, I, I should I should do an episode on some of those games, honestly. Like spread the spread oh, the yeah. wealth a little bit. Anyway, um, yeah. So I don't know if you guys want listeners. If you guys want some, uh, you know, branched some branched out episodes on you know football or baseball or whatever, hit me up. Let me know. I'd love to, you know, love to spread the wealth out. Um, Tim, thanks so much for coming right. on. I really appreciate your coming on. You know, coming to talk, and uh, we'll uh, no doubt be doing this again sometime soon. I'm, I'm sure we'll probably have you on in another month or so if at the rate we're going. Sounds good to me, and I really appreciate you having me on all the time. It's really fun to get on here and talk these games. And, you know, if you're talking about those new ideas and you want to do a couple men's soccer games in the future, you know I'm there for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the nice thing, well, you know, the nice thing about soccer is like, I, you know, like friends with like half the people who ran the Gold Patrol from like 2008 through 2012. So there's definitely a, a, a lot of knowledgeable guests I can fall back on there. Uh, Tim, do you want to plug anything? Um, you know, anything you want to shout out? Um, no, I'm just, um, for all the for all the soccer fans out there, with all these games coming back, my my friends and I, including a fellow UConn grad over in uh, the ESPN digital video team, are churning out a lot of soccer content. So if you ever head over to our website or our YouTube channels, you'll you'll see a lot of our work there. Beautiful. Well, everybody, if you guys want to want to hit me up on Twitter, you can follow me at Max Cerullo, M A C C E R U L L O. Uh, email at yesyukonpodcast at gmail.com. Give us those five star reviews. We're uh, you know getting some good traction on uh, you know the Apple podcasts and uh, you know more reviews helps get us higher up on the list. So if you search Yukon, we'll come up faster. So uh, everybody, thanks so much, uh, Tim. Thanks again. We'll be back next week, and uh, yeah, I'll catch you all later.